But I'm in shock and in awe of, of uh, the level of accomplishment you've had and still the drive to refine what you've done to continue growing on it and building on it. Like that, my friend, is extremely inspiring. Well, Benny, I, uh, I've gone back two summers to Harvard professional development uh, to take courses like ethical leadership. I, I want to always continue to grow, continue to learn. Um, that's just in my DNA. Oh, yeah. By the way, you just mentioned ethical leadership. My my friend Mita just this week came out with this book, Reimagine Inclusion, and she, she debunks myths uh, in the workplace. I don't want to give any away because this is not my book. <laughs> but one chapter... Wait, she says... Um, Myth number four, I'm all for diverse talent as long as they're good. Wow. Right? Yeah, absolutely. As long as they're good. Yeah. The amount of times I've heard that in the room, as long as they're good. And I, do we settle for anything else for any other category, but as long as they're good? Yeah. It takes, it takes, it takes a lot of education to understand how we got to where we got. This book actually really helps make it very clear. Uh, Mita, she's the host of a, a podcast on LinkedIn called Brown Table Talk, and they, they bring up conversations that are, are very well needed and deserved in the workplace. Um, one of my favorite podcasters on LinkedIn. Um, just starting that conversation, you know, we used to have to record an album or a, a, a song to be able to have a conversation. Now we have this. All right, you have done an amazing job. I want to get into our interview. Uh, I was talking earlier, I'm like in awe of the constant refinement development um, of, in branding. And I love that you went back to school and are constantly evolving. Um, you have a two and a half minute reel that I want to play here while people go check you out. By the way, if you're watching this right now, Matthew Knowles is on LinkedIn. So go to linkedin.com slash in slash Matthew Knowles and you will see, you'll see exactly how I reached out to him, exactly where the opportunities are. By the way, what brought you? Can I ask quickly before I play this reel, what brought you to LinkedIn? What was it of all the platforms that are out there? Because you seem pretty, it seems like it's you. It's like the real deal. <laughs> yeah, it is. So I have a team that helps with me with social media. Sure. Except for LinkedIn. Um, I respond. I read. I uh, LinkedIn, I found, of all the social media platforms, is where business people live. And where people that want to really get personal development and growth live. And so that's why I, uh, I also get a number of speaking engagements from LinkedIn. So it's been a really helpful tool for me as well. Oh, wow. So that's that's why I'm in, I love LinkedIn. That's cool. Again, I mean, I hear uh, there's no surprise. I have you on a pedestal. You've been a leader in so many conversations that I've been a part of, the change agent of, in so many pieces of the conversation that I'm a part of to, to hear you say that there's still a need to, for more visibility, still a need for additional connections outside of our region. And for you, that's one of the main reasons that brought you to LinkedIn. That's, I mean, like you're reading out of my diary. This is, <laughs> this is exactly how I show up. Y'all, so check him out on LinkedIn. Please pull up the profile while we have this conversation. If you want to know more about what he's doing, speaking, film, TV, all that, go to MatthewKnowles.com. I'm going to play this. And when we come back, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'll put on my, uh, my I'll do some, some real, some real life podcast hosting for you. Cool. <laughs> all right. Y'all check this out. 
On January 9, 1952, in Gadsden, Alabama, Matthew and Helen Knowles gave birth to their son Matthew. His hardworking parents inspired the ethics and entrepreneurialism that would eventually lead to his multifaceted career as a worldwide leader in business, music, and social activism. He started his career in sales at the Xerox Corporation and quickly was promoted to Xerox Medical Systems, becoming the number one sales executive of medical equipment and diagnostic imaging worldwide. Matthew finished his corporate career as a neurological sales specialist, where he learned the importance of building strong relationships. Despite early business success, he took a risk that would change history. He launched an all-girls group, Destiny's Child, that included his daughter, Beyonce, and started his own music management company and record label, Music World Entertainment. As founder of Music World Entertainment, he has served as label executive and executive producer for more than 100 award-winning platinum and gold albums in multiple genres, including pop, R&B, gospel, dance, and country, as well as soundtracks and special-themed projects. He is respected as one of the industry's top managers and executives with record sales having exceeded 450 million worldwide. As a pioneer for African-American success in the corporate world, Dr. Knowles intimately understands the need to empower the community by sharing his knowledge. He has traveled all over the world as a keynote speaker, guest lecturer, and panelist at various prestigious universities and organizations. Dr. Knowles is also the author of several books, including the number one bestseller, The DNA of Achievers, 10 Traits of Highly Successful Professionals. Knowles has garnered countless awards for his achievements in business, the music industry, and community partnerships. Dedicated to the community, Matthew co-founded the Survivors Foundation, helping to fund a homeless shelter in Houston, and has launched global food drives. From Gadsden, Alabama, with a dream in his pocket, an unwavering passion, and the drive to make a difference, Dr. Knowles continues to empower others on his journey of achievements and success. All right, a couple of boppers, definitely some music that, I mean, I think many of us can say that we grew up to. And what what major milestones? Like, I just, what, I just am so impressed how much has happened in your lifetime. How much has changed in the lifetime also? Where do we even, where do we begin? Yeah, I tell you, it's been a, uh, just last night I was in Philadelphia talking about it's not the destination, it's the journey. And it's been an amazing journey. My journey's not over yet, uh, but it's been amazing, Vinny. I mean, you know, we met back 1997 or 98, and I used to camp out at MTV, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you had access. Yeah. And, and when you have access to creators, platforms that are looking to collaborate and connect with you, in a really unique way, by the way, too. It's funny you talk about about destinations. Like I, uh, MTV was definitely a destination for me when I when I started working in the late '90s. It was like the place I wanted to be at. I wasn't aware of the journey I was on. Maybe because I'm in New York and Times Square, and so much came in and out. But I knew because I had access to that destination. When people came through, I made the most of it, and we became family and friends. And yeah. We experienced the highs and lows and we pitched shows that got greenlit and we pitched a lot more that didn't and we took risks. You know, what a what a fun time to be creative and innovative when 
storytelling happens, right? I guess maybe like 80s, 90s, artists turn to video because of music videos on MTV as a, a way to empower communities and conversations and culture. In the early 90s, representation matters, but there's still like a single person or a single show that's representing a massive community. And then when we get there, we're kind of the beginning of representing ourselves, if it really felt like. And I, and I think, you know, I think uh, Beyonce got that and I got that and brought back that visual element. As yeah. you know, when she put out her albums, there's always a visual element to it. I always say that we won't just hear music in the future. We'll see music. And that's that visual element of it. Oh, yeah. That's so, so, um, how did you explore with the visual element? I mean, did you get to, uh, what, what did, what did that look like prior to Destiny's Child and the, the launch of that for you? Like, what was, what was sort of your creative upbringing that informed that, that you were able to then, bring into Solange and Beyonce and, and Destiny's Child? Well, well, good question. I came, you know, 20 years from corporate America in diagnostic imaging, selling MRI, CT scanners, being a neurosurgical specialist. So imaging is actually the 20 years I did. Yeah. So it gave me a different perspective on imaging and the, the importance of it. What the image is saying, what the image isn't saying can equally be as important. I can see that in many, many songs, many, many videos, many, almost every tour that I've ever seen. It, there's this message of like what we are saying, but also an awareness of what we're not as well. Right. I, think I, I pick that up very clearly in a lot of the projects I've seen you, you know, be a part of. And then I, I got to ask how you manage, you know, when you create content that's intended to be sold and monetized, I feel like that just becomes a slightly different process as well. And you were, you've seen a big boom in how creators can control and license and own more of their content than ever. And ultimately now it's weird to say this now as a in 2023, I have more in common with Beyonce than ever. I'm making my own content that no one is asking for, but people are hopefully are waiting for. I'm creating messaging that's important to me that no one else is saying that is important to me. And I'm not waiting for other people to give me the approval to get it out there. Obviously, you take distribution to the next level when you have ownership over platforms and you're connecting audiences to communities. Like there's a massive level of artistry happening there. But what, what are some of those early lessons that stood yeah. out that you carried with you? Well, you know, I realized early on, Benny, that content was king. And so I had this huge camcorder and I have right now about 10,000 hours of content going back almost 30 years, maybe even 40. Wow. Uh, so I realized that, and you'll begin to see that content slowly come out first with the Destiny's Child documentary. And, and so I understood uh, how important content was. Uh, and in terms of uh, being a manager, you know, I hear this all the, all the time, Benny, as I've gotten older. I mean, I hear this so much, so there must ring some truth to it. Constantly, people are walking up to me saying, you know, Mr. Nose, you haven't really gotten the credit that you deserve for Beyonce's career or Solange's career or many others. Because I always sat back in the, in the, in the behind the scenes, as you know, I didn't 
want to be up front. Um, but, but as I've gotten older, I understand how important that is to tell the story um, or it be told in a different way. For example, when I saw Janet Jackson's documentary, I didn't know, I had a false understanding of Mr. Jackson. Uh, you know, I thought he had the buffoonery and, and the dictatorship, but when she told the story, I never knew that Joe Jackson had taken those kids to Vegas and gotten deals in Vegas when no one else was doing that. And that's the importance of storytelling and making sure that you get the information out. Or people, and history is really his story. You have to be careful and get that information out. As a manager, I always wanted to learn. So I wanted to know everyone's role in a record label. <laughs> and, I, I, and I did. How can I manage if I don't know the roles? I wanted to understand the international scope. How do, you, how do you market abroad? How do you promote abroad? Even how do you put out records? Because as you know, you go to London and you're going to have a little EDM kind of style to your music. You're going to do a different mix on it. So I wanted to just constantly grow and understand distribution, build relationships at Walmart, understand marketing, which for me is the key, marketing and sales. You know, understanding how brand development worked. And when I came to the record industry, it was selling records. They didn't understand brand de de development. They didn't understand how, what differentiate, what differentiated Destiny's Child and all of a bunch of girl groups out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and how well uh, my former wife, Tina, how well of a job she did in imaging and styling them that set them apart. Their voices set them apart. Their harmonies set them apart. Their songs set them apart because they were female empowerment songs. And, and so I understood what brand identity meant in, in, in that brand development. So all of those pieces for me were important to learn and to understand and build those relationships. Oh wow! And would you would you give that same advice to an artist even now who's on their way out to the entertainment? Because I feel like artists are now. I'm not to say that artists should be their own managers, and there's trust and a, and a unique relationship between artist and manager. But artists looking to control all pieces, all all forms of media, all pieces of content, all, all the output. Is it important for them to understand the nuances of? the label and management teams labels are really now more so the bank and distribution yeah um those are the two major roles that they're playing yes to your question i uh, i think it's very important that an artist has at least a general sense of the industry and how it works i think that's very important and as you can see i can use beyonce as an example in our 25 years i managed her but now she's at a place in her career that she can do it herself because she learned all of the process. And there's a lot to learn in being a manager. So would I suggest to a new artist, go out there and be your manager? No. Would I suggest that you go out and find a good manager? Which is very difficult. But I would suggest that. 
because it's just so much time in a day. And yeah. if you're spending time doing a managerial role, then you're not being an artist. Yeah. It's really also, it's really about relationships, less about the product and the connecting and the business and the marketing and all those like business terms we can throw. I really find like the manager is invaluable when it comes to managing those relationships. What are some of the red flags or green flags that artists should consider when they are looking for a manager? What are some of the things, the compatibility things that might come into play when an artist is trying to figure out who, who's right for them? Well, it becomes really so difficult because at early on an artist's career, they're actually a liability. And if I'm an established manager, and then I probably have on my roster someone who's A-list uh, artist. Do I really want to take on and spend more time on developing an artist? when I already have an artist that's generating significant money, and artists are very sensitive to their manager bringing on other acts. So you have to weigh all of that out. So therefore it becomes difficult to get an A-list manager for, to an artist just starting out, unless there's something extremely special about you. Uh, and we have to understand that nationally, uh, worldwide, you know, major record labels put out about 35,000 albums a year. Wow. Only 1% make a profit. Wow. So you ain't a 1% world. So I always say, I always say to my, my audience, you know, go to these seminars and you'll find there's management seminars, there's industry seminars, Find someone that's starting as a manager, but hungry and, and learning and grow together. That's what I always suggest. Yeah. Finding someone who has something to prove and people with whom that they can actually put that to test. That's, that's a real important piece of the puzzle for me here. Yeah. Great. Um, and the differentiator, you know, you're right. I think of the late, late nineties and, um, one of my jobs at in the MTV talent and casting development department was to help MTV films. And I, I remember when Carmen the Hip Hopper first hit our slate and there was a list of people, you know, potentially that we could look at for the title role of Carmen. Um, I remember handing the sides over and, and you, you all, you all taking a look at it and really figuring out if it was an opportunity for her to, to step into something. And man, one of my absolute, favorite stories of all time that I've been telling for 25 years happened in the room with me and her and Robert Townsend. Uh, and it wasn't until a year ago that I realized that I had gotten my story wrong, but long story short, it was me, Beyonce and Robert in the room. It's an audition for the lead role. So she acted and I thought this was my opportunity to be a cameraman in front of Robert. And I certainly have to hold my own with Beyonce in the room. So I I might have done a little MTV camera pivoting and camera moving, and I'll never forget it because Robert, he kind of was like, he goes, that was great, Beyonce. Thank you, Vinny. <laughs> six inches from her face. He already took his hands. Six inches from her face. I want strictly her eyes. I can see that she can act. I'm in the room. I feel it. I feel the emotion. All of that is fine. I just need to see eye contact. And I remember in casting, especially as an assistant, thinking like, oh, I can't believe that like I'm getting a note. I, I don't 
I kind of want to have energy where I'm not in the room. This, this should be about the director and the artist. This should not be, I wish I wasn't getting this note. I beat myself up for it. I was like, I took away attention or action. And I got a note in the middle of someone else's audition, which is really funny to think that like a little camera work from Vinny Lattestivo would take away from the magnetism and polarization of Beyonce in the room when she's dialed in to performing. Um, she did the take again. I think the note was like, I just want to see her eyes. I want to see that she can focus on the eyes. And she, she did the take again. It was when Carmen walks into the room. It's a silent scene. She walked around the room. I was six inches from her face. He said, wrap, cut, give me the tape. Did let me make a copy of it. And then it was booked. And for years I beat myself up for that because I was like, I just wish I didn't get that note. I wish she had a seamless audition process. And when I realized that what I witnessed was two top 1% creators communicating with each other, a shared vision will lit get you way quicker to the end result than micromanaging, giving a note, constructive criticism, any piece of that. Um, and I think back to that moment of, of how we connect with each other, how we offer feedback often. And I can go back and re-edit so many times where if I shared the vision instead of sharing the action, um, I could have gotten far greater results than I ever even imagined. And I've read that she took that job real seriously in character development for Carmen and kind of is part of where Sasha Fierce came from. This idea of a character that she can step into and step out of and grow with and Oof, what a legacy. You know, the amazing thing about Carmen, um, the hip opera is you're right. There was a lot of naysayers, uh, in the very beginning of Beyonce doing this. And she took that on as a challenge and she's that way. She, she loves those types of challenges, especially with naysayers. Uh, and it was about also, uh, building relationships internally at MTV. Folks don't understand Vinny how important relationships are. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I got an op opportunity to build a relationship with Loretha Jones, as you remember, um, who was I very instrumental yeah. in making all of that happen. Yep. So there were people behind the scenes, again, making things happen that folks didn't know. And that's how we were able to, to get Beyonce on Car Carmen Hip Opera. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By the way, Loretta, I mean, again, I look at the people that I learned from. This is like, I wish I was so much more aware of the journey I was on and less obsessed with the, the, the address where everything to me sort of seemed to happen always. Because when I left that address, I was very surprised <laughs> at the rest yeah. of the content ecosystem. But I left in 07. The iPhone came out. Podcast came out. Digital on-demand TV was happening. Hundreds of cable networks appeared. It was it was a rapid rapid growth. And, and to that point, it was a rapid growth in the careers of Destiny's Child because yeah. it was around 2000 that I came up with a strategy that I wanted each one of the ladies to have their own solo career for two reasons. Um, you know, Michelle Williams grew up in the church Mm -hmm. And she really had affinity to gospel music, so wanted her to become a solo gospel artist. Kelly was really pop and really, really did well internationally in Australia and, and Europe. Yeah. Uh, and then Beyonce was the R&B artist. So two things, 
when they went solo, they built their base. And so when they would come back together, their base would be larger. Hmm. That was the number one thing. And the secondary thing is going solo. Each one of them did extremely well. Michelle put out number one gospel records. Kelly had a Grammy that she won. Number one album. Again, did amazing internationally. Beyonce, as we know, everything she touched went platinum. Uh, And so it gave them that confidence also individually that went back collectively and even was stronger. So a lot was happening in that period, 2000 to 2007, uh, and a lot of content and visuals were being done. And we were partnering because I understood marketing. We were partnering with McDonald's on the Destiny's Child tour. We actually convinced McDonald's, no, we're not gonna have the girls in front of hamburgers and french fries. If we're going to do a deal with you, it has to be healthy food. But we also went to the homes that Madonna had for kids around the world and yeah. touched them in a special way. Built those relationships with L'Oreal, with Beyonce. I'll give you just a, a quick understanding. A, mar- a marketing budget, <clears throat> a marketing budget on a record label could be two, three million dollars. But I understood that if I built a relationship with L'Oreal, for example, and Beyonce was in the commercial, she got a check there. Beyonce's music was in the commercial. Mm-hmm. Sony got a check there. But more importantly, the marketing budget was $25 million, And the audience was 10, 20 times that of what a $2 million audience would look like. And so I understood by building that brand development and that having that brand identity that you could only grow your market and and your core customers. Oh wow. That's brilliant insight, by the way. Um it's it's almost easy to say, well, of course you were successful because it's Beyonce, but I know how hard it was to to make sure the people in the room understood the key differentiators at the beginning of her career, not 20 years later, where arguably most people on the planet now know the name. This is at a point in time where, like you said earlier, artists were sort of seen as liability. But you understand, Vinny, it it would have been difficult for most managers and executives. Yeah. But that two-minute video that you saw, there's two important things in it. I was the number one sales rep in the world three out of four years. At, at, at the top marketing and sales company in the world, Xerox. So I knew how to get to the decision maker. All of the American Express, um, you know, all of those com- uh, endorsements that we did, mm-hmm. I went directly to the president and had my act together when I presented my idea. Yeah. So that's what separated me from a lot of the other managers. They didn't have that sales and marketing experience and and, and how to story tell. Yeah, by the way, those results, when you make that outbound call, those results look sure different than when you just pick up the phone call and wait for uh, for the opportunity to call you. Um, uh, It is so brilliant. There's two, I wanna go sort of in two ways. One, just looking back at what you did in regards to in like early 2000s, sitting down, 
with with the women, Kelly, Michelle, and Beyonce, and saying like, here's the long-term plan for you individually, here's a short-term plan for you. Uh, what I love that you did was you took a moment to pause and say, look, like let's work on our individual strengths and let that unify the group. Meanwhile, we'll all be supported in our own strengths. And if we can work on our individual goals and our group goals together, what a wonderful scenario to, as a creative, to just be in, to feel supported, to feel the long-term care, the short-term goals, uh, the growth opportunities. What are, what are your thoughts on on collaboration over, competi uh, over competition? You know, I, I think you said it best. I mean, and I look at, you know, Destiny's Child as an example of collaboration. Yeah. Teamwork was a very valuable tool. Um, these ladies, and we would do early on in the, their careers, teamwork drills and exercises. Because when it's really about <laughs> the team and everybody accepting their role and, and responsibility and understanding accountability versus responsibility, all those things to those of you listening might be like, why would a group, why would you have to share it? Why would I have to go through that? Not, well, it was, that's why they're still standing. Mm -hmm. Because they did understand that in collaborations with others and with producers collaborating. And it's so critically, critically important. Um, we never really looked at competition. I always view competition as myself. I, only person I'm competing against is myself. Um, and, and they were, the, the ladies were similar. Um, we didn't go looking at others. We just, we wanted to be the best, the very best at what we did and understood if I did my job and they did their jobs as artists, the, the very best, uh, there would be no competition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the ladies were so passionate and still are. And when you you have someone as passionate, Benny, you know, you don't look at it as work. You look at it as fun because when you're passionate, what's next are work ethics. And, and if they're like hand in, hand, a hand and a glove, you know, mm -hmm. they go together. So when you live your passion, you never work a day in your life. And that's what these ladies, even to this day, and we see Beyonce, you know, working to others. It seems like she's working so hard, but to her, she's living her dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, what a way to approach the industry and to not focus on filling the room or standing your ground, but creating the space and expanding the ground. Right. Yeah. And I think that those are some of the exponential marks. I, again, I think of the brands that were lucky to get to be aligned with an artist early on. I mean, that Pepsi commercial is legendary. Are you kidding? Like, I don't, I can't think of anyone who thinks of MTV in their late nineties, early two thousands and doesn't have a single destiny's child, if not bazillions of them at bugaboo playing in their head at any given time, by the way, that music was everywhere and it got us through so much. And we, we took it with us because she created it that way. She created it for it to be part of our lives, not just a destination stuck on a network, stuck on a platform, stuck in a room someplace else. But that was the thinking outside of the box. That's it. I mean, Pepsi, Nintendo, we wanted to get a younger male audience. So we went to gaming, Walmart, you know, which is where our core audience lived. 
we all of this was strategically thought out. Yeah. And that's what folks don't understand. Mm. I mean, L'Oreal, Samsung, Pepsi, you worked with like big, big, big brand. Is there a difference between working because you work with a personal brand, arguably, who's if not as big, maybe bigger. Um, Certainly you've helped create. uh, I think I can say you helped create one of the economic wonders of 2023, which is like really creating so many jobs and opportunities from the connection. But is there is there a difference in working with some of those like larger companies um, or what is I, sh- I could say the difference between working with some of those larger companies and and personal brands that have, you know, public notoriety or in the public eye? Well, the larger companies, again, uh, you have to start at the top uh, and get that buy in at the very top. Mm-hmm. And and with larger companies, they have the budgets, they have the impact though. They have a, you can scale what you're doing with a larger business because they have greater impact on, on the audience. So that's why we picked the strategic companies where we needed to be aligned with because to build our core customer base and, and, and fan base, it was important to go to selected companies. Again, this wasn't happenstance. We we actually fought through five-year strategy on Beyonce. Hmm. You might then notice on that yeah. uh, <clears throat> that two-minute video, uh, that billboard chart, I'm very proud of, of, of Destiny's Child and Beyonce. In the decade from 2000 to 2009, a decade, Destiny's Child and Beyonce both was in the top 10 artists of the decade, both of them wow. in the whole world. Yeah. That is a, a amazing feat. So that inspires like what I saw Facebook do in the app store where they started to create more apps. So they had more visibility in the top app stores. And eventually they went from being the number one app to the number one, number two, number three. Here we have a great example of how personal brands, when they're dialed in, have the ability to be strong personal brands and collaborative brands at the same exact time and how they don't cannibalize each other. Like yeah. many people might think, well, is a solo career going to take away from the group? Is the group going to take away from the... not Now I understand some of the inner structure that you had there, a long-term plan and a short-term plan. Teamwork fully makes the dream work. And I... I don't even know the drills that you ran, but I see them in action. When one person's audio goes out, I see how they support each other. They eventually, they learn how to do that even on stage by themselves, which is just like mastering the technique of it. But like, I, well, I really- it's crazy, it's a crazy thing, Vinny. The ladies practice failure. They practice it. During, during practice, uh, you know, artist development, wow. the lights might go out, a butt might go out, a shoe heel might break, the sound might go out. That was done in practice. So when it happened in real life, which it always will, they were prepared. Yeah, that's it, right? It's going to happen. So like, and also this idea of like, let's figure out how we can address these issues together as a team because we'll be together as a team on stage or with your team on stage as a solo artist. Like, again, you're really hardly ever doing anything alone and fully supported. And I know a lot of artists, put that weight on their shoulders and feel like they have to get everything right in every moment. And here again, it's like the collaboration, cooperation component of uh, dialing in what you do best and then standing that ground firmly, self-confidence and then letting other people, you know, 
uh, I'm smiling. Your parts. I'm smiling, Vinny, because uh, one of the, the 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 best moments for me as a dad and as a manager was Coachella when Solange and Beyonce were dancing. Yeah, and they were going just getting it all, man. And I forget who fell, but they made it fun, like it was part of the routine. Yeah. I don't even know if anybody else knew or what uh, know what happened that one of them fell and they kind of rolled on top of each other. But I was, <laughs> I was just so proud how that they pulled that off without a, without people even really knowing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's just a testament to being present and, and practicing being present. And, and like you said, like predicting and anticipating the errors, the mistakes, the things that are going to happen and, and accepting them, accepting that those are going to happen. How can I best you know, respond best be myself that way. It's brilliant, brilliant insight, by the way. Thank you for sharing that. Brilliant insight. Yeah. Um, uh, I want to close out with one quick, well, I have two quick questions and then we'll close out. One is I've seen you on LinkedIn a lot. Congrats on the top voice badge, by the way. It's a big, it's a really honor. Proud of that. What type of advice would you give to creators on the platform who are looking to build authority or more visibility on specifically on LinkedIn, any insights you might share? I try to really give a comment to everyone, but if it's something that is just blatant sales pitch, I, I ignore that only because I don't have the time, but I always say, be authentic, be brief in your comments. Mm-hmm. Be brief because a lot of people, I just look sometimes and I see this whole five paragraphs. I don't even read it <laughs> because I know it's emotional. Mm-hmm. So be very brief and and really nail your comments, yeah. what you're trying to build. And, and, and LinkedIn to me is about building relationships with folks. Yeah. And, and, and that's how I approach it is, is this someone I want to build a relationship with? Yeah, well, hey, I'm lucky I made the cut. <laughs> and again, I set out to just really truly be connected to the people I got to work with. And um, I just love being surrounded by talented, creative people who have high volumes of output. It's like a weird a weird niche of category of people to like, but we're the doers and we're the people who are now top voices or podcasters. We're we're sort of becoming experts in our field. And then that expertise has almost become its own category, its own economy. Top voices, podcasting has become their own, you know, economies as well. So uh, in this world where a lot of people want to be known for everything, I want to sort of bring this back. Beyonce started as a singer and we carefully tiptoed into acting on a music platform. Um, I like to say I was part of the reel that helped continue her tremendous growth in media and film, but she was known for one thing first, and she had expertise and mastery in that topic before she expanded into some of these other categories. The same as you, expertise in sales, and you come into music with an expertise in sales, Matthew, I can absolutely see when that phone rings at Pepsi or L'Oreal or Sam, wherever that phone rings in that company, why someone would jump to answer the call. Now, it's not just about the pitch. It's about being additive. And I I think you hit the nail on the head on that. Well, I I think you you said it well. There's a book called Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite books. 
And he talks about to become an expert requires doing 10,000 hours. And I always ask when I have new artists and they oh, I want to be a superstar. And I was like, how many hours did you practice last week? Um, five, three. And I'm like, there's no way that's going to ever happen. That's how I eliminate a lot of people. I simply ask mm -hmm. them, how many hours did you practice yesterday or last week? And it kind of lets you know where they are mentally also and psychologically with their career and their career development. Because you have to put the work in. And yeah. when you see people like Serena, Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant, Beyonce, they put in those 10,000 hours. And that's why they're great. Yeah, and I hear it too. It's not just 10,000 hours in the studio being perfect, recording, spending money, and doing everything at high volumes. It's lights off. How do we get through this? It's right. All pl so what a what a what a awesome lesson, by the way. Just brand development, and and so many of us are maybe searching for ourselves. I believe we just need to be ourselves, and maybe search for the tools and people who allow us, who empower us to be ourselves um, and have honest conversations. Talk about long-term goals and short-term goals. I collaborate with many people on short-term projects. I understand our long-term goals as well. That's why I do what I do. Um, so I well, can really apply well. this. Oh, thank you. You do it well. How, I, I just want to know, how did you keep your youth? Do you look the same way <laughs> that you look <laughs> in 2000, man? Right. Like, how did you do that? Yeah, uh, how would you, you get your hands on that AI filter that brings us back to <laughs> All right. I should have. Like, I've been saying to myself, hang on, he looks the same. I didn't really do that. I appreciate it. You know, <laughs> I'm grounded. I stayed in New York. Uh, I'm a New Yorker, so I, I, it's something in the water, perhaps. Uh, this this industry keeps me youthful. I'm always, always looking into the fringe of where traditional meets modern. It's how I got into the industry in the 90s. It's where I'm at right now in, in, in the 20s. Um, so uh, just a smile. I think the, I think the smile has gotten sharper and, and I have a deeper appreciation for where I'm at now. So I, I appreciate that perspective. Yeah, I can see you You live and love life. Yeah, uh, yeah. well, we worked hard to get the words in the vocabulary that are here now, get the songs and the lexicons that are here now, get the emotions that we can now talk about. So thank you for all, all you've done to for pop culture, for the creator economy, for giving us the confidence to ask for what we want, for giving us a confidence to create new genres of music, new opportunities that didn't exist that, you know, are right for us. And then the powerful lesson really, which hasn't ended in being prepared, like being additive, being a contribution to the conversation. No one wants to hear a pitch, but people will hear a pitch if it's additive, if it adds to your life, to the lexicon, to the conversation of of your goals and values. So I, I clearly pick up on that again. I'm going to go and watch that two and a half minute trailer again because it's just so well done. And I can see why you're getting on more and more public stages. I love seeing the public speaking you're doing. If anyone here is listening and you're part of a company that has big stage events and you are looking for an awesome keynote, please reach out to Matthew Knowles. It's okay if they reach out to you on LinkedIn. LinkedIn or MatthewKnowles.com is MatthewKnowles.com. Cool. Yeah. You know where to reach them. Please use this opportunity to step back and ask yourself, am I prepared? Do I, do I have everything I want? When, when an opportunity 
like a connection with Matthew Knowles comes to the table. Am I really truly as prepared as I want to be, as I can be, as I should be? Put in the hard work. Pick up that book, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. That's one of my heavy, that and The Alchemist are probably the two books that I've listened to the most in the last five years have changed my life completely. Thank you so much for being here today, Matthew. Thank you, Vinny. It's good to see you again. Hopefully we uh, reconnect and we'll talk soon. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to I Have a Podcast with Vinny Podestivo. If you'd like what you heard and you want to hear more, please find us at IHaveAPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you next week.